Welcome back to the Ramble Room. Uh, this is Ken. I'm here with Diane, and I'm here with an old friend. Uh, he's really only a year older than I am. I first met Garrett Lindemann in 1976 when I entered my freshman year in high school at Bighorn High School, and Garrett was a year ahead of me. You may not remember that, but I do. I remember, remember. I don't remember. I remember you showing up at Bighorn. I don't remember eating. I don't remember meeting you, but I do remember. Yeah, I eventually, couldn't, I couldn't know. say that I remember the moment we. Yeah, met. Yeah, I don't either. remember the moment either. He wasn't that special, huh, Ken? No, it wasn't like across <laughs> a crowded room, and <laughs> there was none of that. Yeah. But uh, and then about ten years ago, through a mutual friend, we had some occasion to get back acquainted again, and now we're acquainted again through. Believe it or not, through politics. Isn't that weird? I've always been a bit on the right-hand side of things. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so Garrett holds a Ph.D. from the University of Kansas. It's in molecular genetics. That sounds like a mouthful, right? It is. You also have, I, I see before me, uh, hold a patent holder in, get this, folks, Subtractive hybridization and difference analysis. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, basically, we're looking at differential gene expressions back then. That was... Okay. Oh, boy. that What year? Did I have a year on that? Um, no, but the patent only has three digits in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that old. Um, it was before all this fancy sequencing came out and you can yeah. do it. Through you know searching databases, so you had to do it the old-fashioned way by hand. You had to earn it. Had to do it by yeah. hand. Another one says biochips and method of screening using drug-induced gene and protein expression profiling. Now, genetic profiling is that like racial profiling? No. Okay. No. Um, so dodge that bullet. Yeah. So what it comes down to is in genetic profiling, it's now called barcoding. So you take the, it's like, well, fingerprinting in um, genetic fingerprinting for uh, criminal investigations. So that's what you're doing is you're producing this genetic UPC code, if you will, that's unique to that animal yeah. and, or, or in this case, to that experiment. And then you can compare them easier. So your bachelor's was uh, in biology at St. John's University. And then you went on to study biochemistry, veterinary medicine. Explain a little bit why veterinary medicine was important to you, because I know the answer. You know the answer? We, we need to know, people need to know a little bit about where you come from. Okay, so, um, yeah, so I grew up here, well, I didn't start here in Wyoming. Um, I mean, regrettably, both my folks are from North Dakota, mine at North Dakota. And I hate to say this, I was born in North Dakota. Uh, you don't sound like it anymore. Uh, I well, I can do Minnesotan. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Just borrow me five. Get a little Canuck in there too. Um, but uh, and so my dad was in medical school at the time and went on to Marquette and then rambled around. Uh, went back to Minot for his Air Force time and then um, moved on to Denver for doing a radiological residency and uh, discovered through. Uh, a, a mutual someone who he worked with in in Denver at the time at St. Luke's, that the, radio, the radiology position here in Sheridan was open, and so he moved up um, in '68 and he took over, 
And we lived over by the golf course at the time, over by the count, over by the, uh, the 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 county fairground over there. Yeah. And then in '72, after my folks, you know, my folks had six boys, um, um, and in '72 he decided to buy a ranch, the one out in Bighorn, because he had six sons. The theory was he wanted to keep them busy, you know, <laughs> and out of trouble. I, yeah, busy but not out of trouble. Great plan. My great grandfather had the same plan. It never quite worked out yeah, either. I didn't. I don't think it really worked out for Dad either. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So I became intrigued with um, uh, horses, cattle, dogs. Um, not so much cats. Uh, you know, <laughs> as and and working as a veterinarian, and, and mostly because my dad's good friend was John Wilson Jr. He knew John Wilson Sr who for people who are new to Sheridan is basically now soccer field across from the YMCA. Right. And uh, I worked for John for a couple summers you know, with the plan of going to veterinary school. Um, uh, the problem was at the time, James Harriet books were out and everybody and their dog literally wanted to go to vet school. It's funny you say that because there's a set of those books laying on the table right outside. Oh, the, there's a long story, but well, they're great books and the series, purely coincidental. And, and the series is really good too. It but, is, but it yeah. made but it made everybody want to become the competition a competition. Became a, and it's funny you mention that because if you go and look at our high school yearbooks, and mm -hmm. we share the same ones, one of the things that I said in there is either going to be an engineer or a veterinarian. Yeah. And I ran into some of the same thing. A lot of competition. And the other thing was, well, actually, have to look at blood. And deal with well, necropsies, feces, and <laughs> and preg testing. I went and helped do some preg testing, and I decided I would go do something else. And go do something else. Yeah. Well, that's you made the decision early. I, I I made the decision to go do something else because um, one of the schools I applied to, and I was living in Minneapolis at the time, was University of Minnesota, and they just built a brand new school for two hundred and fifty to, to to seat two hundred and fifty vets each class, and they'd cut it down to one hundred and twenty. And um, I kept ending up on the um, waiting list, like number three, number four for all these different schools because they were looking for diversity in it at the time. They're trying to get sure. more women in and things like that. And I, I think I applied three times and ended up on the waiting list at University of Minnesota three times and somewhere else and somewhere else. And then I finally decided to apply for graduate school. And since um, early on in my uh, college career, I found genetics to be really easy. I, went, I applied for a genetics program, and I was accepted at the University of Kansas in their mammalian genetics program. Uh, and so I matriculated through that. Um, luckily, the classes I took as, at the University of Minnesota transferred and made, made my workload at, as a graduate student a little bit lighter. Uh, and then I did my research actually at the medical center in a... Um, very common uh, genetic disease in humans of the kidney called autosomal, autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. So basically my thesis was taking a mouse model of that and at different time points determining genes that were overexpressed versus underexpressed. So the result of that was a 473-page thesis and um, hand sequencing of 150 different clones. I think something like that. It's. It took a while. It, it took six years. Yeah, yeah, you know. So there's a lot, but it got me so, a good. You got me a good job at Roche right away. So, folks, I want to read you an excerpt because you don't know yet because I haven't told you <laughs> that Garrett is also a published author. He wrote a book called All the Cowboy Needs. 
It's a collection of short stories. And I just want to read you the introduction to one, the, the first couple of paragraphs, because I think this probably, and you know, maybe you've already got a sense of who Garrett is by listening to him thus far, but I think this is a good introduction as to who Garrett is and what it's like to be around him. The story is called Leather, and it begins. In the blackness, before the first rays of sun bend their way over the horizon to announce the day, in the bedrolls scattered around the pit containing the embers of the night's campfire, are the ranch hands sleeping. Not sleeping are Hoot, the night guard, Krusty the cook, and the ranch owner, Ralph. Krusty is preparing a breakfast of eggs, bacon, biscuits, and cowboy coffee. Boiled coffee is best prepared over an open fire with a touch of salt and cold water to settle the grounds, and best enjoyed in commune with nature. Coffee is an interesting substance. Beans are grown in a tropical environment, and when they're ripe, they are hand-harvested, washed, dried, and packed for shipment to destinations unknown. Then the beans are roasted and ground. In an expression of simplicity, coffee is made by passing hot water through the ground beans, or the water is boiled along with the ground beans, as in cowboy coffee. Either process works well. The end product is the hot, dark liquid known as coffee, which contains caffeine, a devious molecule. It is the caffeine that provides all of the addictive and desired effects vasoconstriction, bronchial dilation, and gastrointestinal tract motility enhancement. I, I love coffee. <laughs> you love it more now. Well, that's that's <laughs> TMI. That's too TMI. much information. <laughs> but th that's the type of a mind that Garrett has, is he always wants to know why. He wants to know how things work. He wants to take them apart and figure out what's behind him. Well, what is this? Why would we invite Garrett on to the ramble room. Well, the reason I did is because with a background in biochemistry, he has a pretty good understanding, I believe, of what goes on with the COVID, with the SARS, with other types of disease, and indeed with this new type of vaccination called the mRNA, which is a little bit different from the way they used to be. So I guess at this point, I'm gonna step out of the way and kind of let you feel your way through the topic and we'll stop you and ask questions when we Yeah, that'd be them. probably good to stop me because if yeah. I get rolling, you can, you can We've only off. got so much tape here. Only so much tape. Oh, it's on tape. You're not even using a flash drive? Oh, I thought this was an upscale place. Uh -huh. Well, the, it says right now that I have uh, 270, uh, no, excuse me, 273 hours remaining. So Okay. Oh, we're good. Try to okay. keep it brief. We keep it out, trying to keep it brief. Yeah. Um, I don't even, okay, so... Um, I, and this goes back to a current Facebook fight I'm having you know, with a with a Facebook expert, you know, an uh, expert in Facebook or uh, an expert in something else who frequents Facebook. Um, the latter, you okay. know, and of course their favorite thing to do is to go out and find something on the interwebs that um, contradicts what you say, and then they just throw it up and they don't do any due diligence on it. Basically, you know? by the way, you know what the definition of an expert is, right? It's a has-been drip under pressure. Has-been drip under pressure, okay. That's good to remember that. I'll throw that one out. So I don't even refer to the mRNA um, COVID. I call, it the, I call it the shot or the jab. 
because, you know, I don't want to be known as a conspiracy theorist, even though my background allows me to, to discuss it in minutia, um, as we may find out. So I don't, even ref- I don't even refer to it as a vaccine because it's the classic definition of a vaccine is basically, and this is the way the smallpox polio flu viruses are, is they actually take the whole virus and attenuate it. So sometimes they kill it. Sometimes in the polio example, they have two genetic mutations or three genetic mutations, or they just heat it and make it weak. And the goal is to, then they give you the injection, right? And the goal is for that to enter your bloodstream and then for your immune system to process it. And those are, those are whole viral vaccines. So you build antibodies to every antigen, every site on it that will make an antibody, you know, the, the, the major ones, the minor ones. And then that gives your body through its system, this, this repertoire of antibodies to take on that virus again when it comes back. And so vaccines um, are there to, once you have it, it protects you from the virus. It makes you either not get sick or just get a little bit of, of, of an illness. It increases your ability, your own natural ability to fight that virus. Right, off. right, yeah. exactly. Um, but the mRNA jab is completely different. And, and the definition I use, you will find in graduate level texts and probably senior level texts in college for about immunology and virology. Um, the mRNA one is first wrapped in either a liposomal particle, which is basically, you know, it's old technology and it's basically uses a bilayer like your cell and it wraps it up and it enters your, enters your cell through that process of hitting it and merging into it. Okay, I just I want to hold a second and clarify a little bit. We've all seen pictures of the coronavirus. It looks like a little spear with mushrooms on top of it. Right, yeah. So the spike those, those mushrooms are the spike proteins. Right, yeah. Those spike proteins are what attach the the virus to a healthy cell and then create that bridge, correct? Yeah, so the ACE2 receptor the case yeah. of, of the spike protein. But but the but the mRNA vaccines are either wrapped in the liposome or they're wrapped in the adenovirus vaccine. Right. And I think it's the Pfizer's wrapped in the adenovirus, the adenovirus, uh, and Moderna's wrapped in the liposome. But the but the wrapping is there to protect this mRNA. Yeah. Basically, what they have done is they've created a messenger RNA and they want to inject that into your body. And so they wrap it to protect it, inject it into your body. Yeah, and then it enters your cell and hijacks your cell just like a virus yeah. would. Yeah. And so that mRNA is... But, the, but theoretically, the virus is not present. The virus is not present, but the spike protein binds to every, nearly every cell in the body and causes problems. Yes. You know, and we can come to that too. But the mRNA is stabilized, so it's got modifications along it so it doesn't get chewed up in your cell by enzymes that degrade nucleic acids like RNA and DNA. So in this case, an RNAs. And so if it was just a straight RNA, it would eventually be degraded by your RNAs in some sort of period of time. But they don't want that to happen because they need a certain amount for your body to make antibodies to it. And you're only making antibodies to the spike protein. You're not making antibodies to the whole coronavirus. Right. And so what happens is this jab comes in, takes over your cell, just like a virus, 
and makes all these spike proteins. And then they get spewed out into your blood for your immune system to do its work. Now, the problem becomes with a flu vaccine or a polio vaccine is you know how much you get. You, you have an idea how long it's going to be there. With the mRNA vaccine, you don't know how much you get because they inject it, your cell makes it. The cells, it's not one cell, it's a bunch of cells that make it. And because, and because of the fact you need to have RNAs to degrade it and it's protected, the RNAs of my body might be more active than the RNAs of yours or Debbie's body. So different people have different responses to it. And part of the problem is that those people that have low activity or low quantity of RNAs are probably the ones that are seeing the really adverse events to this, to this spike protein. And, you know, they've come out and said that those people that ha have had a natural infection and had natural immunity have more and better antibodies. And that's just the way it is with your immune system. You get a whole virus vaccine, you get more and better. And that's, that's the way it is. But yeah, the spike protein binds to the ACE2 receptor, which is ubiquitous through the body, depending on where it is, you know, if it's in the lung or in your circulatory system, it causes problems. So I'm just going to back up and kind of make a synopsis. Yep. So the, their theory was we didn't want to eject somebody with the virus per se, but we wanted to make your immune system recognize these spike proteins and attack them because that is the device that the virus uses to attach itself. Thinking being, hey, if we can knock out this spike protein, the virus doesn't have a chance, it'll get flushed out. So they send in little messenger RNA, which effectively makes your own body create that spike protein with the assurance of the promise that your body will defeat and flush these spike proteins as well, and they'll be gone. I'm, I'm accurate so far? Yes. Okay. My understanding is that these spike proteins are also part of the disease. Initially, it seemed like it was just the virus that was the problem. The spike proteins were just a vehicle. Well, now they're feeling, finding out that the spike proteins, because of the way they attack the membranes inside the vascular system, vascular system are causing problems for people who already have issues. And essentially, I guess, from my perspective, what it comes down to is they jumped the gun way too early on this, releasing something before they had adequate time to fully test and see how it worked in all different types of bodies. You, you mentioned somebody who is uh, maybe more a little laid back than someone who's very active. Um, you can see where the diabetes is tied into this because it's the same kind of a vascular disease. Yeah, and I thank you for that translation uh, because I'm used to speaking to scientists, you know, and my, one of my weak points is speaking to lay people, as, as Ken knows <laughs> and has pointed out. I will try to help. Yeah, you know, great. No, that's yeah. great. I don't want to get in the way because yeah. we want to know what you say. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and, you know, and, and, and there's, always a, there's a whole plethora of diseases that come out from this. I mean, one being the heart inflammation. And there is a Surgeon General for the Navy, and, of course, the military has this gigantic database of all their people. And she came out and said, during the COVID outbreak, all we lost was 20 people in the military, but a 2.2 million standing army, right? I think that's the number. And um, 
in the first couple of weeks Move of the zero four two. <laughs> and in the first couple of weeks after giving the vaccine or forcing the vaccine onto the military, they already had 60 or 80 cases of heart inflammation. And that disease has a five to six year time window before you pass away. So theoretically, the vaccine or the jab has already killed four times more people than COVID in the military. And there's other diseases too. I mean, they see an increase of cancer. The new one happens to be apparently vaginal, vaginal ulcers. Uh, Dr. Cole in Idaho has said, if you have both uh, Pfizer, the, the shot and the booster, you have a 20 fold times increase of having cancers. He's also the one that pointed out that the spike protein attacks the mitochondria in the cell. And the mitochondria in the cell is your power plant. It's the digestive system of an individual cell. Right, yeah, and, and it generates its power right there. Yep. If you don't have it, you don't. It's a truck with no engine, right? It doesn't go anywhere. It dies. Um, and so he pointed that out, too, and he's got some pretty good data on that. And he's, and he's, and he's a forensic pathologist, so he's went through a whole list of things on it. So in, and initially, we heard, and we've all heard the argument about there's a difference between dying with COVID and dying of COVID. And what I believe are inflated numbers attributed to COVID in order to stir up the fear. And then I see the, the other side of that is going to be, oh, this person died of a stroke. This person died of diabetes as a reaction to the jab. And I see a deflation happening there because there is this desperate need on some not to follow the science as I see it, but quite frankly, to generate income. Well, I'll agree with that um, because if you look at the stock prices of the pharmaceutical companies, even including the ones that are doing testing, they've taken off hugely. The, well, sure. The, va the, 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 the income on them has, has jumped. And that, that income comes from the idea that we had to come up with this emergency protocol to release some sort of a treatment. Garrett's written several articles. One of those articles you talk about, in order for them to declare the right to produce an emergency vaccine or anything else, they have to be able to, to say that nothing else that was on the market already was effective. Would you go clean up the mess I've just made? Yeah, sure. I was, <laughs> I, I was actually going to ask you how far they want to back up, but let's, <laughs> let's, let's start with that. And I'm actually scrolling through the article that I think it's in. Um, is the, the idea was the excuse they used to develop this vaccine was there's nothing on the market. We've got to have something now. It happens to do with the what they call the emergency youth authorization, yep. you know, um, sent out by the, the federal government. Okay, so here it is. It's in the first article. So the, the, the CDC and the FDA issued emergency use authorizations. And so they did it first for the, the tests, the PCR tests. They, they issued one for vaccine, for, for vaccine development, diagnostic assays and vaccine development. And so with the um, vaccine development, they, you know, had four points. You know, one basically acknowledges that whatever this agent is can cause a serious or life-threatening disease or condition. Um, you know, the second is basically based on the totalitarian scientific evidence available. 
you know, in including data from adequate and well-controlled trials, if available, it is reasonable to believe that the product may be effective to protect, diagnose, or treat such serious or life-threatening diseases or conditions that are caused by, you know, SARS COVID two, so COVID nineteen. The known and potentially benefits you of the wrote it <laughs> when used <laughs> used to diagnose, prevent, or treat the identified serious or life-threatening con- disease or condition outweigh the known and potential risks of the product. And finally, the fourth point, which is which is what, where I sort of hang my hat on in the article, uh, is that there is no adequate approved or available alternative to the product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating the disease or condition. You know, we should probably tell people that it's, you can find my articles on GOP USA, and you go up to the little search box and put in Lindemann. It's L-I-N-D-E-M-A-N-N. And I did thank you for mentioning that GOPUSA.com. Yeah. Uh, get there, search for Lindemann, L-I-N-D-E-M-A-N-N. Yep. And you'll see these articles about the jab heard around the world. And and so basically, in the and it's the first article, I basically contend that um, HCQ and ivermectin, there's enough. Okay, what's HCQ? <laughs> I think everyone knows, don't they? Well. Like hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> thank you. you. Know, yeah. um, we don't take anything for granted at the Ramble Room because I'm okay. trying to teach. I have grandchildren that are listening to this. Oh, really? I didn't know that. 13 years old and... We kind of take it for granted, so I try to really keep it. Okay, all right, all right. Basic, yeah. But you've heard all these horrible things about hydrochloroquine. Now that can't work. Um, ivermectin. Well, that's just horse dewormer. All this other BS. Yeah, I mean, a short his- history of HCQ hydroxychloroquine is basically it's a replacement for quinine. Yes. And it's been around for a long time, and it has something like fifty-five million you know, prescriptions that have been filled and taken and it's treated for malaria, uh, mala- well, malaria mainly, yeah. but also for things like rheumatoid arthritis um, and a, a variety of other diseases too. You know, it's, it's been prescribed for a long time. Yeah. Um, and, and, and ivermectin, quote unquote, a horse dewormer. Well, yeah, it was, it was first developed for livestock, but eventually Merck moved it over to people it's been used in, you know, third world countries for a long time to, you know, for a variety of parasitic infections, not only just worms. Well, they won, what, what was the award? Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was Nobel in 2015. Yeah. It, a Nobel Prize winning medication. Drug. And it was called a wonder drug. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been used uh, there, there, in some cancer treatment protocols, people are, get people ivermectin. Mm-hmm. Before they go have cancer treatment, like a week before, yeah. you know, um, and 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 the and the main difference, there's some formulation differences between the livestock version and the human version. But the main difference is you dose humans differently than you do horses. But you but you don't you dose dogs differently than you do horses sure. too. It's all based at least in part on weight and other factors. But it's it's funny you mention that because I had a couple of horses that absolutely hated. To be wormed. Yeah, my and, big my big paint hates it. And he's yeah. 18 hands and half draft. Yeah. <laughs> and having got smashed in the face a few times, I have probably consumed a certain amount of horse dewormer in my day. So maybe that's why I've never gotten sick. I think it's a little disingenuous to be making pe- fun of people for taking a drug that can be used on animals when most of the drugs have been tested on animals, right? Yeah. And it goes, and it's actually, and I agree with your point. 
Because what usually happens in pharmaceutical companies, especially with antibiotics, is that they first go into the livestock market and into the animal market to make money while they're getting ready to go into the human market. And there's, so there's a whole plethora of drugs that that happens to. And it's not surprising that Merck went into the livestock market first because it's a lot easier to get into livestock and companion animals than it is to get into humans. And, and so they need to make money. And so that's the way they do it. And sometimes they launch in third world countries because it's easier to get into the regulatory and get approved there than what they do here. Mm -hmm. But with most drugs, when you get approved in the U.S. under the FDA, it's accepted in a lot of countries. There's a few countries still that don't. Japan might be one. But, you know, their, their population is a whole lot different than ours. It's pretty... There's not the diversity, yeah. the immense diversity of people in Japan as there is here. Well, and, and in the case of quinine, when it first came out to treat malaria, if you were of Mediterranean descent, either Arab or Italian, or along anywhere along the Mediterranean, you had adverse events to quinine. You know, so it happens with all drugs. Well, that was fascinating. Where do we go now? <laughs> Well, I should probably use it as an example. Yeah. Never mind. I'm sorry. So, you can so, edit it. You can edit it out. Yeah. yeah. So let me let me just kind of summarize where we've come to so far as in the way that I see it. Um, again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I I pay attention to things. So we have this disease that was introduced to the United States through a lab in Wuhan that just happened to have received substantial funding from an organization con controlled at least in part by Dr. Fauci. And when this thing comes out, of course, there's no relation. What's nothing to see here? Never mind that man behind the curtain. We all can draw our own little pictures and ideas of that. But now we have this disease that is loose. Yeah. And it's going to affect people. And we know that there are a couple of treatments out on the market already that are cheap and effective and have been known for a long time. So we have to discredit those in order to come up with another one so we can make gobs and gobs of money. And because we're not going to go with the standard st traditional style of a vaccine, we're going to start this mRNA process. And this, Garrett, is what really scares me is when they start playing with tricking your body into making different proteins, how do I know, one, what they're putting into me, two, what the repercussions are going to be, and what is that doing to my current God-given and God-designed immune system? <laughs> Men constantly are playing with things. They don't know what they don't know. They think they're a lot smarter than they are, so they go around and start messing with things, and it's my belief that God was a lot more understanding of what might befall the humankind, developed an immune system that is quite effective against any number of things. And now here's man going in there trying to make it better. I've never seen man make anything God made better. Well, I'm, I'm in the same camp. I'm probably one of the few scientists that say new is not always better. And um, just because we can, should we? You know, there's, there's a lot of examples of things that we shouldn't have done that we've done. You know, and people, there's a cautionary tale here throughout well, history. Most of them are in Washington, D.C. Well, California, <laughs> you know, Washington, <laughs> yeah. D.C., the blue states. Um, you know, uh, and, 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 and people should be really, really 
um, circumspect about anything the government mandates or wants you to do. You know, uh, the black population's got several different great examples of why not to trust the government. One is a Tuskegee Airman, you know, yeah. the syphilis tests on there. And then, then there's another test where they actually took poor black people and dosed them with radiation, telling them it would treat their cancer when they were studying the effects of radiation on the body, you know, and not treating them. They were just dosing them to see what happens. And, of course, in the military, a lot of people in the 50s were exposed to nuclear blasts just to see what happened. Yeah, yeah. And then there were studies that the military did, um, or I should say the government, because I don't think this is run-of-the-mill military. I think this was people they, higher up. They have a different mass mission. Mission, for, yeah. To yeah. prepare for, where, where, or at least they used to. Yeah, where they would release, you know, low-level radioactivity into the, the airspace above a big city and watch how it flows around the buildings. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're going, well, okay, I understand the importance of that, but you're still exposing people to radioactive material. Um, uh, and, and there's there's probably a, a, you know, MK Ultra. The, the studies done in with prisoners, you know, and of course the first thing they say is, oh, yeah, we're here to help you, you know, um, and it's like, no, I don't need any help, you know. And it's sadly, in thinking about this, because I thought we'd get to this point, I actually think people ask more questions when they're buying a new car about the new car than they do about what their doctor says and what they get, you know, because yeah. um, it, it, what you should do at least once in your life is when you get a new prescription, is open that up and read the insert. Read it all and read the adverse events and read everything because that's going to be really educational to you. And it should force you to ask more questions um, about it. It's, it's interesting that you say that in a, uh, in a related way. I am by no means any kind of a scholar on the topic at hand. But I've done a fair amount of reading, and I found that pretty quickly I could see some warning signs about how the spike proteins might affect the vascular system. So if I can figure this out in maybe 20 hours of reading all told, if I can figure that out, these people that are behind this who know presumably vastly more than I do, I, I've got to think they've got something else in mind. And I'm not trying to paint myself as a conspiracy theorist, but they can't be that stupid. Well, yeah, I think they have something else in mind, and we can go down the rabbit hole and probably shouldn't on the New World Order and the depopulation and Agenda 21. You know, I mean, the trick is 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 people need to get unbrainwashed. You know, I mean, we talked about it earlier. I don't have TV. I haven't had TV for... 10, 15 years, you know, I, I, I watch things that I want to watch. I, I hardly go to the theater anymore. I mean, I haven't been to the theater in years. You um, probably think the Broncos are still a good football team. <laughs> a whole different discussion point there. Okay. I remember when they were a good football team, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it's stunning to me that, you know, you have this body, this one life, and, and, and you let people just inject things into your body without asking questions. Or your excuse is, oh, the government says that it's good for us and we need to do this. The government said we need to wear a mask. Mm, you know, um, it, no, you don't. How it, big is a coronavirus? Mm, so the holes in the mask are 300 nanometers. Yeah. Coronavirus is 125, roughly. 
Maybe I've, maybe I've down heard to estimates 100. down to seventy five or eighty. Yeah, maybe. but anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of factors. I use one twenty five. Like a mosquito going through a chain link fence, yeah, it, as it, NPR it, used to say. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and the other thing is is the fear porn around it. Uh, and, 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 and this is the reason I gave up TV. I don't know how long ago is because I was at home sick, laying on the couch, watching the TV and the news was on and I came to realize, and this is before CNN. So it's probably been longer than 15 years. Uh, well, Fox is 25 years old, so it's older than that then. And I came to realize that on the four t big channels, so ABC, NBC, CBS, you had the same four top stories. And in three of them, they were basically in the same order. And in the fourth one, it might be slightly switched around. They basically used the same verbiage, the same camera angles, and sort of the same emphasis. You know, yeah. so it came obvious to me that they're pushing a point. You know, so this is, at that point, I decided it was propaganda. Now, of course, at that time, you still had some ethics in the news, and they couldn't use it as propaganda. But they were still having a perspective and skewing it. And and that's and that's fine as long as you know what that is. They've all got their similar marching orders from two or three parent companies that have obviously coalesced. Yeah, yeah, they have. They all have an agenda across the world. But it's it 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 scares. It's frankly, it's, since we got grandkids, it scares the heck out of me that that people are not. I mean, they're they're more picky. But well, so before this, they were more picky about what they ate and where it came from, and that's good. Mm -hmm. You know, but they were less picky about what the doctor gave them because they just sort of and it and this goes to that mystique around Fauci. Oh, he's a scientist. He knows what he's talking about. Oh, he can do no wrong. People, MDs, PhDs, lawyers, all professionals are just humans. They have the same problems and they do the same things as anybody else does. You know, mm -hmm. and Fauci. Had, likes to talk on the on on the on the radio and on the TV. Likes to get on there. He's making a boatload of money with all this. He's seeing a lot of airtime, and we've seen recently, you know how how scientists can be bought and sold. I mean, how many have been picked up for taking bribes from China, and selling secrets to China in the last eight months? Um, you know, and and doctors doctors do the same thing. I mean, what what's the figure for the hospital that what's the figure the hospital gets for every COVID patient? Thirty grand. Don't get me started on that. With a background in the nursing home, whenever the federal government gets involved with giving money for certain issues, it gets totally skewed. So essentially, the answer to your question is they get as much as they possibly can because anything they can possibly link to COVID, they're going to link to COVID so they can get that money. No, but but so the, the trick is, is they're getting paid yes. to identify people as having COVID. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people that are getting admitted to the hospital now, as you get admitted, they do do the test. And some of them are coming up positive for COVID. They never even knew they had it. Yeah, well, but I, they're being counted as COVID admission. It's uh, yeah, it, it it's amazing that that this is going on because you know you sort of alluded to it earlier. Um, before March 2020, the way and since you worked in a nursing home, mm -hmm. if if you had you know comorbidities, so you know you had diabetes, Alzheimer's, you know whatever else, and you died of the flu, you didn't die from the flu. Right. You died from whatever heart disease. If that was the one that was most progressive, you died from heart disease in this second, and the flu basically pulled the banana peel out from underneath your foot, and you died. Yeah. You know. 
Now with COVID, you have any of those and you die with a positive COVID test, and remind me to come back to this in a moment, you die from COVID. Now let's talk about the positive COVID test. Anybody that has done PCR in their life knows that anything over 30 to 35 cycles gets you trash. And the first PCR test that came out from Roche and Thermal Fisher went 45 cycles. And they had very high false positive rates. Now they're back Which down. Which is beneficial to their process. Yeah. And, and, but once Joe Biden got sworn in, they got dropped back to 32, I think, is the number. But you got a whole bunch of positive COVID tests. And so that drove the number up. Um, I have very deep experience in PCR. The first patent was actually a PCR technology, a PCR method to do the gene profiling. But I need to know what that stands for. Uh, yeah, okay, poly polymerase chain reaction. What kind? Polymerase chain reaction. You actually take uh, an enzyme from a bacteria that was actually found in Yellowstone Hot Springs, and it is heat tolerant. And so when you do this, what you do is you need to split the nucleic acid helix. Carrie Mullis won, won a Nobel for it, and his basic thought process was the current way to amplify DNA was to take the DNA in a teacup and put it into a water bath, and then you put in a regular DNA polymerase from a bacteria. And you put everything in it, and it would make two copies of it. And then you'd repeat that. You'd, you'd, you'd take that teacup, put it into a hotter bath to separate those strands and put it into another bath of a different temperature and have everything bind and then put in your, your, your DNA polymerase, which extends DNA, and put it into a, put it into a fourth bath and have that reaction. So it's a very manual process and you've got very volumetric problems in it too. So Corey Mullis said, well, there's got to be a natural DNA polymerase that extends DNA under high temperature conditions or survives, excuse me, survives high temperature conditions. And so he went, well, what about the hot springs like in Yellowstone? And he actually went to Yellowstone and extracted some bacteria out of there and found a, a DNA extending polymerase that would, that would survive the denaturation step, which is at 95 degrees. So now you have these automated tests that sit in a little microfuge tube that you don't change volume. All you'd really do is once you put everything into it is you change temperature. And it's, and it's a exponential amplification. So if you start out with two, the next step you get four, and you get eight, you get 16, all the way up. And so if you were to graph this, you basically start sort of with a very flat, slightly climbing line till about cycle five. And then it starts to really climb steeply because, you know, you hit a point where you have like, like a hockey stick, like a hockey stick. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> uh, you hit like a hundred and all of a sudden you're making 200 and 400 and 800. And so after 30, 35 amplifications, you have billions of copies. And so you go from billions of copies, another 10 or 15 amplifications and you get crap and you get crap because you run out of important things that keep the reaction going. Like you have an improper ratio of polymerase to the DNA. You don't have enough primers, which you need to start the replication. Your salt mixtures are off. And if your salt mixture is off, you get errors in binding, not only the nucleic acid, but also the polymerase. And then you get 
you know, not enough nucleotides to extend it. And so you bump into all these problems, and then you just start getting all kinds of stuff out there. So anybody that had done polymerase chain reaction before this, I saw it immediately. I went, they're getting crap. And that's, and literally, they're getting crap. Because what would happen in hospitals is they do a test, a nurse would come in and not feel well, so they do a test, uh, and, and, and she'd be positive. So they do again to confirm it, and she'd be negative. You know, so, you know, the false positive rate there based on that is 50%. It's actually like, I think the number was 40%, but it's also, it's pretty high for false positive rate. Um, so that means that at least 40%, probably at least 40% of the early COVID cases were false positives. Now, from an epidemiological standpoint... The, the one thing I gather from that is you said there was a, a lack of primers. Yeah, a lack of primers. I haven't seen them at the, at the gun store in months. <laughs> in months. <laughs> so now we know what happened. Now we know what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so with, with COVID, let's back up to COVID and your, um, your experience in, in a care facility. Yeah. You know, so... MRSA. Uh, MRSA was the big thing. Oh, MRSA. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, they've, de they've demonstrated that most people carry MRSA in their nose, and so they get self-infected, yeah. you know. And your own immune system is able to keep it down yep. Yep. At, at a certain level, and then all of a sudden it gets overwhelmed, and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah, um, and we should really come back to the to come back to the CDC recovery or to the CDC survival rate of, of, of a COVID infection at some point. I got the number in there somewhere. It's like ninety nine point seven percent, you know. And that's that's across age groups. Yeah, like zero to sixty, you yeah. know. But the most the three most common comorbidities are obesity, asthma, and smoking. You know. Uh, and of course I have two of them, but I've, I've survived the original COVID infection in 2019. And I felt like just, I had the bad flu and I survived the Delta variant most recently. And I was, yeah, I felt crappy. I was down for three, four days, but then I bounced back. Um, and it, 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 it so, and I haven't done anything. I've, I, I'm not vaccinated. I'm not going to take it because I think it's. Have you ever had the antibody test done? Yes. And what's it tell you? It tells me I had COVID and I had the Delta. But right now, so what's interesting about that is that um, there is a um, Harvard epidemiologist in the medical school that has said that people that have had both the Pfizer shot and its booster are 27 times more likely to get the Delta variant. And if you if you actually go out and do research like on DuckDuckGo instead of Google or Facebook that have their programs that skew things and you search around. Algorisms. How could you trust anything named an algorism? Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and what you find out there is, is, is it's being reported that the, the number of people that are vaccinated outweigh the number of people unvaccinated in the hospital having COVID, you know, so again, this is not a, this is not a vaccine, you know, more people are getting sick, have, having had the jab and the shots than those that aren't. And we have a perfect example right now with Florida, no mask mandate, no, no quote unquote vaccine mandate. And their numbers are the lowest. They know, like we did before this, what you do is you segregate the infected. 
you know. Unlike it, Cuomo did. Unlike Cuomo did. <laughs> you know. Yeah, he's, he infected the segregated. Yeah, he's going to fry that on that oh. one too. I think, and and, and so it, it's it's there's been a lot of things that have gone on here, that, that that just don't make any sense, at all. So if this is all for our health, which is a great phrase that the Germans used to use pre World War pre World War Two, yeah, it's for your health. You know, is 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 that if it was for our health, why not then have those of us that are obese, have asthma, and and smoke, lose weight, get their drugs, and quit smoking. Leave the rest of us alone. Well, no, I mean, again, if it's for your health. Right, if, but they should be yeah. mandating that in order yeah. to save lives. Right, right. right. And, 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 and if it's for our health, why, are, why is our borders open? These people aren't being tested nor given the jab. Now the new refugees from Afghanistan, they're not being tested. And guess what they're giving them when they come in? Ivermectin. Really? Yeah. And if it's really for all our health, why does Biden's vaccine mandate exempt White House staff, legislatures and their staff, the judicial system and their staff, Pfizer, Moderna, whoever else in that, and then uh, the NIH and their staff? Oh, and the United States Postal Service. That's the one I was going to throw in there, the yeah. Postal Service. Yeah. You know, so this is all supposed to be for our health. You know, we, we need we need to do this for our health and to save our our loved ones. Anything that they're pushing so hard, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, get why are you pushing so hard for me to get the vaccine? You're not even interested if I have any natural immunity. You're not interested in the comorbidity factors. Just get the damn shot. And they're Except, willing to bribe you to yeah, do it. Yeah. Unless you happen to be one of these elites. Which leads me to the idea of what's the next thing that's going to come down the pike out of Wuhan or some other lab? And how have they weakened the population at large, perhaps setting them up for the next thing that comes around? Now, again, this is what scares me, is all of these elites are being excluded. We're not going to participate in that, but the masses. Well, I, I think that what it looks like it's happening is that if you look at Israel, they are the most highest vaccinated country in the world, and they still have yeah. COVID. And it's the flu, basically. Well, so, you know who said that? The Scandinavian countries said that. They dropped all mm -hmm. mandates around COVID, and they basically said it's not a threat to humans. It's just the flu. It's a respiratory virus. So Scandinavia is f free of that. You know, um, what's even funnier is... Bill Maher has come out and said, this is stupid. The pandemic's over. Yeah. You know, the red states are proving that, you know, the yeah. blue states are crap, you know, yeah. and I, and, I, and that may not be an, an, a, a, a perfect quote from him, but that was the sentiment, you know, and it's Bill Maher. I mean, I know lefty. I don't really <laughs> I know. The only reason I like him is because he's willing. He is funny. He is yeah, to a degree, but, but he's, he's willing to say that's wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, CNN and their whole excoriating of Joe Rogan, that was stupid. That was completely stupid, you know. And, of course, CNN can't pull more people than the Huskers, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, see on a, you know, at a football game. It is pitiful where things have gone. So we probably should figure out some way to wrap this up. Um, 
I don't know how to do that. A synopsis. This is like a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> he had a few really great scenes in yeah. line where he brought them out, and you know, we ran through that. Okay, we've done our shtick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, history of the world. Uh, yeah. Hi, I am Comicus, stand-up philosopher. You know, <laughs> we just we just decided that this show was like a Mel Brooks movie. Oh, we had a lot of good segments. Yeah, or, or, or Monty Python. Yeah, you know, same yeah, thing. Bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. Yeah, same thing. We're through playing now. <laughs> okay. So yeah, but it, it, I mean, you, you sort of brought up where we're going with this. Um, it it looks like you know if you're to if you're to bite into this sandwich, you're gonna end up getting a booster on a regular basis for one reason or another. Oh, yeah. Either, you know... And, and the it, next variant, and the next variant, and the next thing that comes up. Right, right. Which variants would be interesting to talk about, but we're mm-hmm. so far into this. But I, I, I think really, I think what it is, is they're trying... I really think that the the, the progressives, the, the, the socialist Democrats, Biden and his cadre of people are trying to make themselves a world class and have everyone else be slaves. And one of the ways is to control us is through the fear of these viruses. Um, and, 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 and if you're living your life in fear, you're not living, you know. And granted, you need to take, you know, some precautions against infectious diseases. But you, don't, you shouldn't live your life in fear of anything. Um, and, and, and so what they want to do now is have your vaccine, vaccine passport, make sure you're wearing your mask, and use China's social credit system to sort of check you off. Okay, so yeah, so Ken and Garrett aren't wearing their masks. They don't have their vaccinations. They're making radio shows that are, you know, against Our the narrative. Yeah, waxing. Yeah, so we don't we, we don't get to travel outside of Wyoming. Oh darn! Um, <laughs> you know, we don't get government services. Well, I pay taxes, so. If I'm going to be denied government services, I shouldn't have to pay taxes. I don't get the 450 grand for being. Uh, but there, I've also heard people saying, though, doctors saying, if you won't get it, then why should we treat you? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So that's a stupid comment. Because if uh, if they well, want yeah. to have the idea that you're going to go ruin it for everybody else, they should treat you. Yep. Yeah, but okay. So this is so masks and the vaccine are supposed to protect those that use them and take them. Right. 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 So as long as they use them and they take them, we're not, those of us that right. don't, aren't a threat to them. Exactly. You know, it's just, again, they're, fear, they're afraid of life. But if we get sick and don't have the vaccine because we wouldn't do what they told us to, then why should they expend their resources on us? Why not? They've done it before. But that's the, I think that's the thought behind that comment yeah, that's, that's is that you don't saying. deserve our resources if you won't do what we tell you to. Uh, my rights as a guide, you know, as a, as, yeah, there, as a and there, therein lies the rub because under the Constitution, our rights come from God. Yep. Under their minds, your rights come from them, and they're permitting yeah, the government, you. Yeah, they're permitting you to exist. Yeah. So, it, so then, de facto, this government's tyrannical. Absolutely. You and, know, and I've thought that for a while. And as as under the Wyoming Constitution, Constitution yep. They need to be dissolved. Yeah. Well, and then let's let's remind people under the Wyoming Constitution, your first right is to make your own health care decisions so long as you're competent. Yep. You know. Well, we're obviously not competent. We may not be. All right. Garrett, it's been great having you. Thanks, Ken. Come back. Yeah, great to be had. <laughs> <laughs> they 
I'll say that. Uh, all you need to do is invite me back. I'll come back. And thank you, Diane, for keeping us honest. <laughs>